Welcome to yet another episode of the Dragons Y'all Recap Show. My name is Jamie. I am your host, along with Angelica, our moderator here. Hey, Angelica. Hey, Jamie. And we're missing our third partner here, Ryan. She's out living her best life in Vegas. So, you know, <laughs> shout out to you. I wish I was out there with you, girl. Um, but it's it's just us two on this episode nine recap called the green council of house of the dragon so yeah let's get yeah. into it let's get into it um as always i like to reflect on the previous episode um get twitter's reactions uh last week was a pretty explosive ep- episode to say the least um a lot of people were really moved by the series crown falling off and Damon helping him up to the throne and crowning him. And turns out that whole moving sequence was a mistake. Um, apparently, yeah, apparently the crown fell off of Patty's head and Matt Smith decided to keep rolling with it. So he, you know, he picked up the crown and he crowned the series or yeah, he crowned the series and the director decided to keep it in the final cut and, I mean, I'm glad for it. It seemed like it was planned, but I, I'm happy that was there because it really brought it full circle for the brothers. That is so cool. I love it when actors do that, when there's just these sort of unexpected moments in filming and then they just keep rolling with it because there's the notorious story about Leonardo DiCaprio and the, um, oh gosh, what's the name of the Quentin Tarantino movie that he had did with Jamie Foxx? Django. Fox? Django, Django Yeah, Django Unchained, where that scene where he hits the glass on the table and he actually breaks the glass and it cuts him and he's bleeding profusely and he just keeps going. And they kept that in the, yeah. in the, in the film. So anyways, going back to this, this is actually very beautiful. I, I love the fact that Matt Smith just kept going because as I mentioned in our last episode, that was like a full circle moment uh, seeing Damon and Viserys sort of coming together after seeing them having this contentious relationship starting in episode one. So that's that's cool to know that it was uh, improv. I, I did not know that. Yeah, I was like, really? I was so surprised. But yeah, it was beautiful. I think everybody was touched and <laughs> a lot of crying gifts on Twitter. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that was a pretty cool moment. Another... Um, very popular moment with the Twitters was the execution of Vayman Valarian. Um, <laughs> that you know via Dark Sister, uh, Damon just you know went right through him like some butter. Um, there was like both sympathy and cheers. I, I noticed there was a bit of debate. Um, people were saying like Vayman didn't deserve to die because he was only standing up for his family. He was telling the truth, and then. Other people like myself were like, well, that's great. He can fight for his family, but you can't call the king's grandchildren bastards and call his daughter a whore and open court in front of the king and expect to get away with it. Um, and a lot of people were drawing comparisons between what Vayman did and what Ned did. Um, so for me, I feel like the motivations were different. Like one, Ned tried to do this very um, discreetly. You know, he gave Cersei the opportunity to take off. Um, and take her children with her. He wasn't trying to seize power for himself. He was just trying to do the right thing where I feel like Vayman was a little bit more self-motivated and he claims it was all because he wanted the Valerian line to continue. But once Rainies announced that Raina was going to marry Luke, that should have been the end of his argument, right? So I feel like it's almost apples to oranges. But what, what do you think, Jamie? 
Yeah, you know what? I did not hear about those Ned comparisons, so that's very interesting. But also, Ned was higher ranked. He was handed the king, so can you even really compare? Right. So I, I don't, I don't know where those parallels come from. But I am of the belief, and I did see, because we had posted um, on the Black Girl Nerds Instagram a little funny reel in reference to Vayman, and there was some mixed banter about that. And I'm of the belief that, you know, what happened, he had it coming. I mean, it's. I'm sorry, I, I do sympathize with uh, Vayman's stance on, you know, protecting Driftmark. But as I mentioned in the last episode, he was usurping his niece, Bela. Let's get that out the way. <laughs> because Bela technically is the actual heir to Driftmark. So the fact that he wanted to step in, and I get it, like, you know, he's a warrior. He he has the 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 skill set to be in that position. But still, like if we're gonna fall in line with laws and creeds, then it's Bela that should be that. And then like you said, he called the princess a whore. Like you don't do that. You just don't do that. So he he had it coming and I'm I'm sorry. I I, I get that people are upset about it, but that's the consequence of calling out the princess even though it's true exactly even though it's true i mean i'm like well is she really a whore she only slept with like maybe three men in her lifetime i mean her body count's pretty low so vayman just needs should have just sat down and ate his food and minded his business but that is not the case and i i saw a comment someone was like this is the one time i will advocate or be okay with a white man cutting off a black man's head i was like <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and even in the behind the scenes, the actor, um, I forgot his last name, but Will was saying he was like, yeah, Will Johnson. He was like, yeah, but you notice, you know, Damon took me from behind. He didn't, he didn't face me face to face. He, he, he did catch like him off guard. Character. Was it? Wasn't he like in mid sentence when when his head got yeah. chopped off? <laughs> Just whoosh. Uh, so you know, uh, the, Will Johnson did not think it was a fair one, but he said that basically his character motivation was he knew it was it was his end regardless, but he was say he was going to say what he had to say, come hell or high water. So he went out like a G. I appreciate you know the. Yeah, appreciate the thought, but yeah, you should have just kept your mouth shut. So, um, yeah, those are the big debates on Twitter that I saw. And then I just wanted to clarify something from the last episode. You know, Helena, of course, every time she speaks, it's something prophetic. Um, and what she actually said, you know, upon watching a second time with closed captioning, she said, beware the beasts below the boards, which is actually a reference to blood and cheese. Um, it has something to do with her undoing. Um, and I don't want to spoil it for non-book readers, but what she says alludes uh, basically to what's going to happen to her later on in the series. So I'll leave it there. Um, and yeah, I'm going to ask Jamie for your first thoughts on uh, upon watching this episode. Yes, I'm, I'm not going to say anything further. I did want to speak just a little bit about um, the reference to the Beware the Beast Below the Boards and Blood and Cheese, just that you're right, they do play a role in um, the the future of this story. And um, to give a little context, Blood was 
a former gold cloak and he was a butcher and she's as a rat catcher who knows sort of the back ways and the alleyways of the red keep so he knows how to hunt for people and that's all i'm gonna say um oh oh jamie oh one more thing you know how we kept asking like what was the the purpose of the rat or the mouse that we kept seeing throughout the series and the blood i think those are all references to blood and cheese but i could be wrong Okay, I, I want to talk about this too. Um, and maybe we can talk about it later in the um, episode recap, because there's fan theories out there that the rat is uh, Larry Strong, and that he's a green seer. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh, I've heard about that too. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, but yes, that, anytime Helena speaks, let's just listen. <laughs> let's Put just on your listen. closed captioning because she, t- she tends to speak quietly she speaks yeah but as far as my first thoughts about this episode this episode is great um as someone who has a bit of an understanding now of the books recapping these shows over the last several weeks now uh they've done a really good job of staying in alignment with the books which i think fans really appreciate we all remember what happened in game of thrones in the last couple of seasons people were not happy because there was a lot of deviation happening which you know that's not showrunner's fault and you know george rr R. martin doesn't know how to finish a book but still um <laughs> <laughs> you know i think it's good that um the showrunners here miguel and ryan are really just sticking with the material the source material because it's it's great source material um but yeah i absolutely love this episode i love how this preamble to the dance is developing and happening and um i'm i'm, I'm ready for more I, I agree. I, I enjoyed this episode, especially the last like five minutes. I was like, "Whoa, that's a moment. And we'll get into it later. <laughs> you got some thoughts? Okay, well, let's let's get into the episode then. So we obviously know that King Viserys has passed. He died in the previous episode. And we get several shots of the interior of the Red Keep. It's probably the early morning hours, maybe like 4 or 5 a.m., we see, you know, the Iron Thrones empty, the courtyards empty, the small council chamber is empty, the grand staircase all dark and empty. And then we see a young blonde child leave the king's chambers and he walks through the castle into the kitchen and he alerts Talia of news. And by the way, the woman that plays Talia, her name is Alexis Rabin and she she's actually Miguel Sapochnik's, Sapochnik's wife. So I thought that was a pretty cool um, cameo of hers. Um, yeah, nice. So he snuck his wife in there. Uh, so <laughs> to, uh, Talia, <laughs> Talia, and for, literally, um, Talia informs Alicent of Sirius's death. Um, and then, of course, Allison is like, are you sure? And she says, like, the child saw it for himself. Um, and she, Allison starts to break down in tears. Um, you know, we all have different opinions on Allison's true motivations, but I do think she has love for her husband. She has been with him for over 20 years. She has uh, four kids by him. The fourth child we don't really see on the series as of yet, but he will be included. But in any case, whether she was truly in love with him or not, she does have love for her husband. He's passed. She's upset. Um, so she collects her thoughts and she informs her father of what's happened and he asks, like, who knows about this? Obviously, Otto's mind is working. He's trying to contain the situation. And she says only to Leah and a few of the servants. Um, she even goes on to say that she saw Viserys on his last night uh, before he died. And his last wishes were for Aegon to be king. 
we as an audience know Alex Allison is misinterpreting Viserys's rantings about Aegon the Conqueror's dream of a song in Ice and Fire, which essentially was a continuation of his conversation with Rhaenyra in the previous episode. So obviously in his fevered, you know, near death state, he, he probably didn't even know who he, who he was actually talking to. Um, so Otto is pretty surprised about this, that Viserys has named Aegon his heir and he's a bit skeptical but Allison insists that it's the truth and she's the only one that knows it um and then we see uh, Talia light candles in the windows of the queen's chambers and that's clearly a sign to Masaria um so I'll stop there for your thoughts on that opening yeah I mean I think you said that Allison is misinterpreting his fever dream I think you're kind of giving her a a little bit more credit than she deserves. I I think she straight out lied. Like she knew exactly what he wanted. She knew that he was in a state where he wasn't, his cognitive uh, function was not at the best. I mean, he was even saying that she should be uh, the the next in line for the heir. So he, he wasn't in his right frame of mind. So for her to just say Aegon outright was just a complete, complete lie. And, um, Otto is responsible for this. So it it's kind of funny that his response is like, oh, really? Did he say that? Like, you have been planting this in, in your daughter's head <laughs> since the beginning. And this is this is what you wanted. So um, why be skeptical now? Just go with it. So, yeah, I just when that moment when she was just like, yeah, he said it was Aegon. I, I know it. I was just like, girl, you you are tripping. So. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think she misinterpreted it or she heard what she wanted to hear. Um, but in any case, uh, because Viserys, once again, even on his deathbed, didn't make things clear, um, he's kind of created some problems. So Allison ends up summoning the small council. Tylen, of course, is like, this couldn't have waited for another hour. Like, what happened? Did Dorn invade? You know, did Dorn get invaded? And Allison, she's sitting grimly at the head of the table. She has Otto and Kristen flanking her at both sides. Otto then tells the small council that the king is dead. Um, you know, he says they grieve the loss of Viserys, the peaceful. So I guess that's going to be his what he's known as going forward, which is true. There was, aside from the stepstones issues, you know, he's he's he reigned peacefully for years. Um, he tells them like he was their sovereign, their friend, and he left them a gift with his last breath he impressed upon the queen that Aegon should succeed him as king um and then Tylen is like all right great let's proceed with our plans and I was like these guys are are you serious so you know Otto gets the plan in he's like there's two captains of the city watch that remain loyal to Daemon they should be replaced Tylen advised that the treasury is well in hand the gold has been set aside for safekeeping Otto requests ravens are sent to their allies in River Run and Highgarden and then Allison kind of realizes that the members of the small council or at least some of them had been planning secretly to install Aegon on the throne without her and of course, Lord Jasper Wilde, he's the master of laws and he's played by Paul Kennedy. He's like, oh, we didn't want to sell you with dark, darkling schemes. So while all this is happening, you can see the different facial ex- expressions of the members of the small council. Lord Commander Sohero looks pretty upset by the news. Lord Beesbury is not having it. He's like, whoa, like you can see like the horror flashing across his face. Um, and he speaks up and he says, you know, He's shocked that they plotted to supplant Rainier with an imposter. Lord Wilde corrects him saying that Aegon is not an imposter. You know, he's the son of the king. 
Beesberry reminds them that hundreds of knights and lords swore fealty to to Rhaenyra and then Tylan says, well, that was 20 years ago and most of them are dead. So Wild states the king changed his mind and that they should honor his wishes. So Beesberry stands up and he tells them, look, I'm 76 years old. I've known uh, Viserys longer than any of you have at this table. I refuse to believe the king on his deathbed alone with no one else to hear him but his wife uh, named Aegon his heir. And he basically declares the whole thing a seizure, a theft, treason at the least. And, you know, Maester Orwell's telling him to mind his tongue. And we know how it goes when you don't mind your tongue. Um, so Beesbury insists the king, <laughs> you know, the king was was doing just fine the night before, you know. Uh, and then we see kind of Kristen start to step behind him. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to go well for him. Um, he says, like, you know, the king was all right last night. Who here can tell me that he truly died of natural causes? So then Sir Wild was like, um, are you accusing us of regicide? And Beesbury is like, I don't care if it was all of you, one of you, I will not take part in this. So Kristen demands that he sits down. He grabs him by his shoulders and he slams him down, which, I mean, you can't go slamming around a 76 year old man because his head hit the table and he accidentally kills him and blood's everywhere. And, you know, everyone is pretty much shocked at this, uh, at, at what happened. Um, so I'll stop there for your thoughts. Yeah, I don't think it was an accidental killing. I think that Kristen Cole knew exactly what he was doing. That that marble, I don't know what they're officially called, those little marbles that mm-hmm. they use at the small council. Um, but he bashed his head into that. So that essentially mm-hmm. crushed his skull. And, uh... Uh, you, uh, I think uh, you know in the in the book there's various interpretations as to how it yeah. went down, but in the book also there's a story that Kristen Cole took his sword and cut his throat open. So yep. um, it's been pretty consistent that Kristen was responsible in the death of um, uh, Lord Beesbury, and uh, he's still holding on to that grudge, and he's very <laughs> very loyal to his queen, and he is going to make sure that she is protected at all costs. So this uh, Lord Beesbury was sort of this dissenting opinion and he he had to basically cut it off at the head. <laughs> he didn't cut him off his head, but um, he crushed his he head. He smashed it. He smashed his head. Smashed so it. yeah, I, I think that's interesting yeah. that they you know went with that. But either way, uh, the minute that, and I think you mentioned it, the minute that Kristen stepped behind him, I was like, oh snap, this is not going to be good. <laughs> So, and I also think the fact that Allison was in her feelings that she wasn't informed about her son's ascension to the throne by the council, I'm like, what difference does it make? Isn't that the goal? Isn't that what you guys wanted? So what difference does it make if you're not clued into how they're scheming and plotting to get him set up for this? Like, who cares? <laughs> the, the, the the end goal is to get him on the throne. So I don't know, man. She She comes off as... You know, she tries to seem like she's all, you know, innocent and high and mighty and and very sticking to her faith and beliefs and and focusing on the laws and traditions of her house. But there's some egotistical, um, there's an egotistical spirit about her. And I just, I don't like it. So every time people talk about the similarities between her and Cersei, I'm like, yeah. It, they're, they're there. I mean, she's not as bad as Cersei. I will give her credit for that. She is not that bad, but they do share some similar traits. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, to uh, go back to what, uh, the rumors of Lord Beesbury's death, you know, like you said, supposedly Kristen slashed his throat. Then there's one where he was sent to the the Black South and he died from a chill or one where he fell out of a ledge, like all these different things. And what I like about the series is that um, the books are essentially conflicting first and secondhand accounts of the events of the dance of the dragons and what led up to it and the show seems to be like actually saying what happened so they're filling in the blanks and they're clarifying the rumors uh so you know don't know if it was an accident or not and in in any case lord beesbury got taken out and he was probably at this point the only voice of reason and one of the only people on rainier's side i think uh but by the way just to to jump in really quick i think this is probably really fun for the writers to be able to play with Mm -hmm. these options because of the fact that fire and blood was written on based off of these different accounts and how some of them were rumors, some of them was hearsay and all of this, that they can, like you said, they can actually write and put in what actually happened into the story. And they're not going to get crucified for it by the fans because the book never really tells us what is actually truth and what is actually, you know, a a rumor or, you know, hearsay or whatever. So yeah, I, I think for the writers that this is fun that they get to, have a little bit of creative liberties with with uh, yeah. crafting this script. Absolutely. Um, so Sir Harold, he's the commander of the King's Guard. He draws his sword, and I I love this bit from Jefferson Hall, um, who plays Tylen. He quickly kind of like scoots out the way, like, "Oh, let me get out your way, sir." Um, <laughs> and um, he confronts Sir Kristen. He tells him to lay down his sword and remove his cloak. Kristen angrily draws his own sword and aims it at Sir Harold. And Sir Harold again tells him, like, I am the Lord Commander, lay down your sword. And Kristen's like, I will not take any insults aimed at the Queen. And Allison's like, there were no insults directed at me, <laughs> just to be clear. So, yeah, calm down. Um, you're too serious. Uh, and so he ends up putting his blade to the side and, you know, all... All, I mean, at least there. I was, I was a little scared. I'm like, oh, please don't let Sir Harold and Kristen go at it because I don't want to see Sir Harold go too. Um, <laughs> no. So Sir Harold, you know, he's kind of disappointed at the events of this small council. He's like, has it all come to this? Um, and Otto tells him to calm down. And then Maester Orwell is like, can we like get Lord Beesbury's body out of here? And Otto's. <laughs> Like, can we, you know, can we just get this out the way? And Otto is like, no one will leave the door will remain shut until our business is finished. And then once again, Tylen kind of like sneaks back past Sir Harold to get in his seat. And then we get this gruesome shot of him sitting at the other head of the table. And then you can see Lord Beesbury's bleeding out in front of them. Like, it was just crazy, this scene. Um, So <laughs> I'll stop there before I get into the rest of the meeting. But I just thought that was... There was a little comedy played in there. There, Yeah, there was with seeing uh, the foreground of Beesbury dead and blood dripping from his head. And they're just conducting business as usual. Like, okay, uh, back to what we was doing. So, yeah, I mean, this scene was this scene was something else. I think, first of all, Kristen Cole has become the number one character that I have learned uh, that I've hated now. I, I do not like Kristen yeah. Cole. Uh, he has held on to a moment. <laughs> Not even, he wasn't even like 
it wasn't a situation where his family was afflicted or he was injured in some way where it caused permanent damage like Amond, you know, with his eye being taken out. Like he just had a moment where his feelings got hurt. You had a girl that didn't like you and you're really just keeping this grudge at, to the point where he's very defiant. So he's defiant in this scene against Sir Harold, which I feel like is super disrespectful because he's commander of the Kingsguard. And it parallels with him being very disrespectful and taking out Joffrey during that, that wedding scene. It's just like, dude, you really, you, you have no respect for authority and, and somehow he gets away with it. But I guess because of Queen Alicent and the power that she wields over him through protection that he feels inclined and, and, and feels like he has the, the, the liberty enough to, to act in this way. So yeah, yeah. And poor Lord's Bur Beesbury. I was just like, yeah. Master Orwell's like, can you just get his body out of here? And Otto's <laughs> like, no, we are back. And, and Otto is like the second most hated person for me on this show. I just, he yes. is getting so insufferable to me right now. He is absolutely, you know, and he tries to, again, with that whole trying to be all high and mighty and seems like, oh, well, this is for the protection of the realm. Is it really for the protection of the realm or is this more of an ego thing? And you still have feelings with Damon Targaryen. Like, yeah. are you still holding on to that grudge? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'll also add, um, I feel like at this point, Kristen has turned his heartbreak towards his devotion to the queen. So anything that he does on her account is out of loyalty, loyalty to her. Also, because the queen is now way more religious, way more fanatical. I think he also has kind of become more religious as well. And you, you kind of get a hint of it later on the episode of how he feels about women. It's almost like... Um, like, like people say, like somebody backs. Yeah, he got radicalized. He like at first he backslid and now he's back in and now he's like 100 percent in his faith. Um, and he's a little bit too much now. Um, and yes, Otto, I actually grew to really hate him in this episode just because of all his different, as you say, Terry like to say schemes and plots, um, all these different ways that he's trying to kind of gain power through Aegon. So let's you know we'll continue with the small council scene uh so Tylan advises storms and maybe an issue as lord boros baratheon is loyal to rhaenyra but he does have four unmarried daughters and the right proposal may sway him um allison then asks like what's going to happen with rhaenyra and otto states you know as the former heir she cannot be allowed to remain free um so she's like are you going to imprison her um and Otto says you know yes and her family will be given the opportunity to publicly swear fealty to Aegon of course Alicent knows that Rhaenyra and definitely not Damon are going to bend the knee <laughs> um so that obviously is going to lead to their deaths um and Otto states like it's it's a necessary evil you know we have to carry out the king's wishes and Alicent at this point is pretty impassioned and she's like you know, carrying out the king's wishes does not include murdering his daughter. He loved his daughter and she's not going to stand for that. Um, so Lord Wilde tries to like step in and she's like, say one more word and I will send you to the wall. <laughs> like, let me get my point across. Um, so Talon's like, well, what do you suggest we do? And she really doesn't have an answer. So Sir uh, Otto instructs Sir Harold to take his knights to Dragonstone to dispatch Rhaenyra's men quickly and cleanly and obviously retrieve Rhaenyra and company uh, back to King's Landing. Sir Harold, 
is not having it and he removes his white cloak he's like look I am the Lord Commander of the King's Guard. My loyalty is to the king. Until you guys pick a king, I don't belong here. And he leaves. And then you, they, there's a shot of Kristen's face, and he's clearly upset about you know Sir Harold leaving. Um, so I'll stop there for your thoughts on that little tidbit. Yeah, Otto is the worst man. He is absolutely the worst. <laughs> the fact that he actually wants to carry on with killing Viserys' daughter, his only daughter. And, um, I mean, I understand Damon, like we, we get that, but, um, (laughs) the fact that he is actually thinking this is actually pretty wild. And the thing that his daughter would be okay with it, like at, at the end of the day, even though I can't stand Allison, she still has loyalty and still cares for Rhaenyra in some respects. So I don't think she's ever going to be on board with hurting or even killing as an extreme, uh, Rhaenyra. So the fact that he thinks that she would be co-signing on this just speaks volumes to his ego. Um, so yeah, it's, it's almost like he's sort of going down this downward spiral himself of his own power. And it's, it's, it's corrupting Mm -hmm. him in a way where he can't even see it. Like, bruh, you're really putting out these proposals that are not really logical at this point. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate situation, but yeah, that's, that's really all I got to add to that. (laughs) Yeah. Otto's out of pocket and sad to see Sir Harold go once again, someone that is on Sir Harold is like the, um, I think out of all the, uh, characters on the show, he's the most noble um yeah. prior to him rest in peace was um Lionel Strong. Lionel. Yeah, but um Sir Harold is actually someone who you know is is a real authentic, you know, person and uh and actually cares about the realm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely sad to see him go and um Kristen being Lord Commander. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's going to get messy. Yeah. So, um Later, we see Helena. She's telling her maid um, who's watching over her children, it is fate to crave something that is given to another. If one possesses a thing, the other will take it away. So even now, she doesn't know that her father's dead. And she's already seeing what's happening with the, 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 the contention for the Iron Throne. And I also noticed this tidbit. I don't know what this means, but she was, embroid- she was doing embroidery and it was of a spider. Um, so her maid agrees with her and Allison and Otto enter and they're looking for Aegon and she's like, he's not here. Um, so she asks like what's happening and Allison begins to tell her, but Helena interrupts her and she kind of says it, it was almost like it flashed across her mind and she's like, there's a beast beneath the boards. Um, so she keeps repeating that. Um, and then Eamon enters and he's aware of what's happened. Um, so Otto finds Sir Eric sharpening his sword, and this is going to get a little confusing because we have Sir Eric and Sir Arik. Hope I pronounced them enough that you can understand the difference. Um, and damn, George. <laughs> and there, uh, we mentioned last episode that they are members of the Kingsguard. So Eric does not know um, where Aegon is, um, and Otto is like, you're his sworn protector. You should know. Eric says Aegon exploits his authority to order him away. And then when he does, he also evades him. Eric believes Aegon left the keep secretly and has gone into the city. 
So Otto orders him to find Aegon, take his brother Arik, and he tells him to kind of do it incognito. No, no one should know that they are Kingsguard. Um, and they're not to tell anyone about what they're going to do, not even the queen. So Eric is to bring Aegon to Otto and Otto alone. Um, so I'll stop there for your thoughts on Otto's plots and schemes. And, and of course, Helena, if you ever, if you want to talk a little bit more about, you know, her repeated thoughts of blood and cheese. Right. Um, so let me try to articulate this in a way that does not reveal any spoilers about the book. But, um, if one thing, if one possesses a thing, the other will take it away. Please pay attention to that Mm -hmm. because I feel like that is prophetic. I could never say that word. Um, and it's, it's a shame that Helena doesn't have the gift of prophecy where she understands and is able to interpret her prophecies, Mm, you know? So she's just saying these things, but she really doesn't know what she, you know, is saying. She really doesn't understand what it means. So it's kind of interesting that her children are in the room while she's saying that. That's all I'm saying. Um, I I will add to the other part with um, Sir Eric and Arik uh, that, (laughs) I know, this is just... Why, George, why do you use the same names? And I think I was watching this um, this YouTuber um, break down some, some scenes about uh, the last episode, and he was saying that typically authors, there's sort of this unwritten rule that when you write about characters, that you should never use characters that have the same first name um, mm-hmm. to avoid confusion of the reader. But I guess George just took through those rules out the window. He did not care. So yeah, Otto's uh, plotting and scheming with these guys are just, again, it's going to continue to go down this rabbit hole of destruction that I feel like is going to bite him in the butt. I really do. And uh, it's just, just kind of sad where we... At the beginning, Otto did seem like he kind of was sort of playing by the rules, but now the rules are just all being thrown out the window. And he's starting to get, give me, he's giving me little finger vibes. (laughs) He's giving me little finger vibes, which is not good. And we, we know how little finger ended up. So I don't know, but, uh, but yeah. Middle, middle finger is at it again. Middle finger. Uh, That's right. That's the moniker he has now, right? It's middle finger. (laughs) Yes. Middle finger. <laughs> so um, Rainey's is awakened to the sound of her door being locked from the outside. She tries to open the door. It's clearly locked and she's demanding to know what happened, but no one's telling her. Um, she looks out the window and she sees a bunch of servants being led through a corridor. And then we end up seeing Talia along with the other servants are led into cells. And Larry's is watching all of this unfold. So, hmm, put a pin there with Larry's involvement. Um, Kristen enters the queen's chamber and advises her Aegon has left the keep and that Sir Eric and Arik have gone to the city to find him. Allison tells Sir Kristen to find Aegon and bring him to her as the fate of the seven kingdoms depends on it. And then she plays on his feelings for her and she kind of puts him within the confines of as his queen and he assures her that he will not fail her. And then Amond insists on going along with Kristen um, 
as he also knows Aegon's habits. And Alicent reluctantly agrees to this. So out in the city, Aemon tells Kristen that Aegon took him to the Street of Silk on his 13th birthday. Um, he believes that Aemon, uh, Aegon thought it was his duty as his older brother to ensure Aemon was as educated as he was. At least that's what he understood. And then Kristen's like, I don't follow. <laughs> and I'm like... Are you the, like you you took down Rhaenyra a couple episodes ago? What do you mean you don't follow? Um, and then Aeon, I mean Aemon's like, oh, you know, like he told me that I had to get it wet, and I was like, oh gosh, I don't need to hear this. Um, and then Kristen, this is this is going back to him being more fanatical, says every woman is made in the image of the mother and should be spoken of with reverence. And I was just like, nice. Um, and he. <laughs> Like, right, right. He knocks. If that's the case, then why did he call Rhaenyra the C word, huh? Exactly. <laughs> Salty. So he knocks on the door. Eamon knocks on the door of a brothel. Um, Kristen asks the brothel keeper, I, I, you know, they said they're looking for their drinking companion. They're also an incognito. Um, and they believe that uh, this person is a frequent customer of her establishment. And he's like, it's a delicate matter. Hush, hush. It's Prince Aegon. And she tells him, like, the prince has not been here in years. He does not frequent the Street of Silk as his tastes are less discriminating. Um, and Kristen asks for clarification. And I also want to know what what she means by that. Like, are, you know, the, the, the whores of the Street of Silk, like, too good for him? Like, I, I don't know. But she, in any case, she won't answer. Ah, uh, yeah, that could be it, too. Um, and yeah, so she wishes Kristen good, good luck. And then she's like, best wishes to your companion here. And obviously she remembers a or a mend from his, I guess, time on the street, uh, the, the street of silk. And she said, my, how you grown. And, <laughs> you know, Eamon's like, ah, all right. And walks away. Um, so Kristen's kind of frustrated. He's like, you know, apparently you don't know your brother's habits as much as you thought you did. And Eamon's like, he could be anywhere. He could be dead. And Kristen's like, well, I hope for your mother's sake, that's not the case. So I'll stop there for, for that, that, uh, interesting scene. I just want to make a, a, a footnote to Eamon and the actor that plays him, Ewan Mitchell. A lot of fans were saying how he looks way older than the actor that plays Aegon. So uh, I thought that that was uh, a very interesting take. But also the actor is like 20 years old. So he's he's actually younger. He just has that face that I guess makes him look older, which is probably who knows why they cast him. I don't know. But yeah, fans fans are in their feelings right now because of the actor's look and that he looks older than his brother. Um, well, um, I was going to say, if I can stop you right there. Yeah. I was gonna say, um, in the books, um, Aegon is described to be shorter and chunkier and more like baby faced than Aemon. And you have to also think about it. Aemon's been training, like basically since he got Vagard. So you, you're looking at this muscle, you know, big muscle 20 year old man. Um, and then his like soft drinks and rapes women brother you know like it's they're, they're two different people <laughs> wow true. Sorry, that, true that was harsh but yeah true i but mean sorry, go ahead. facts facts uh so yeah um let's see here i think that uh first of all i love the fact that uh it, it's been put out there that Eamon frequented 
the street of silk. I, I, I did not know that. I did not know that he mm. was spending extracurricular activities out there. I also would add too that um, fans are asking for, and hopefully maybe they'll show this later on in the series because in the book, um, Eamon doesn't wear an eye patch. He has a, a blue mm. sapphire in his eye. So maybe there will be a moment where he takes the patch off and we see the sapphire. So I don't know. That would be kind of cool to, <laughs> to see that. Um, but yeah, I I think that that moment with Kristen and saying about the uh, every woman is the image of the mother and should be spoken with reverence. I think because you you are onto something by him calling Rhaenyra c word like okay the hypocrisy of it all. But remember that was a while back, right? Mm, and sure. um, what we fast forward to six years where we saw. Um, uh, Alicent wearing the faith of the seven necklace. So she's become yeah. more religious and more radicalized. And who knows, maybe they're going to the sept and praying together every morning. I, you know, maybe yeah, something. Yeah, something. So maybe his, um, his faith has obviously shifted even after that moment that he was putting down Rhaenyra. I'm not defending him at all. I'm just saying that there's probably been you know, some, some changes to his, his beliefs about women since, uh, since that moment, since that scene. Agreed. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, so, um, Eamon is basically at this point complaining to Kristen about searching for his brother who honestly never took his birthright seriously. Um, meanwhile, Eamon has been studying the histories. He's been studying philosophy. He's trained at arms. He, he rides the biggest dragon in the world. Like clearly Eamon believes he's the better contender for the throne. And Kristen's like, I get it. I know how you feel. Um, and Eamon's like, look, we've searched for Aegon. You know, we can't find it. Find him. His secrets are his own. As next in line, I can assure you, if they come looking for me, I'm going to be found. Like, I'm not going to hide. Um, meanwhile, Eric and Arik are searching for Aegon as well. And we see a young curly haired woman following them. Then they hear a crowd of people roaring. They follow the sound into a fighting pit where young children are forced to fight. I don't know if it's to the death, but it's bad enough that their teeth and their nails are sharpened for, for this. And apparently this is a place that a uh, Aegon frequents. Um, Eric shows his brother a silver-haired toddler sitting in the corner, and apparently that's one of Aegon's many bastards. Uh, so uh, Aegon is uh, on some Robert Baratheon time, it seems. <laughs> Um, so Eric tells Arik something must be done as Aegon is not fit to rule and they've tolerated the prince's proclivities for too long. And Eric is like, yeah, but we're sworn, you know, to protect him. That's our duty. The curly haired woman approaches them and says she can take them to Aegon for a price. The girl says her mistress will only entrust this information to the hand of the king. Um, and the twins tell her that's impossible. And you know, she states, I'm sure the hand will want to hear what the white worm has to say. Um, so I'll stop there. So, yeah, uh, Aegon's got little little bastards around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is this? Like um, the ultimate fighting championship of the King's Landing? What, what's going on? <laughs> With, that. with babies at that. Like, sheesh. Yeah, it's yeah, that that that's just weird. That's just weird. Um, yeah, the scene was, we're, we're hunting down Aegon. There's like a little bit of a spy thriller happening here in this scene. Yeah. So, 
by the way, the the curly hair girl, good to see little sister, you know, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it does kind of suck popping. that. Yeah, curls is popping. Um, so you know, uh, yeah, outside of the Valorian uh, family line, good to see a, another sister on the show. I mean, you know, she's uh, a woman of the night, but that's okay. That's all right. You know, we. <laughs> <laughs> um, Diversity. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, this, the fact that she works for the White Worm, which we know is Masaria, which we know Masaria works for Otto, is definitely enough to have them want to learn more information. So, yeah, I, I'm glad to see uh, Masaria kind of coming back into this story because I thought, okay, what what was going on with her for a while? Like, is she still delivering information? Is she still giving secrets and, and being a spider for for Otto? Because Larry's kind of sort of officially have been taken <laughs> over that position, being called the Master of Whispers. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where we go with White Worm's story at this point. Yep, yep. And um, any thoughts on Eamon thinking that he's a better king than his brother? That That is absolutely something that I feel like was almost instilled in him through his training with Kristen and um, just him as a kid being bullied. And now he's on, he's been on this ego trip ever since mm -hmm. he got on Vagar. <laughs> Vagar yeah. has instilled some something in his in his adrenaline that has had him on this ego trip and he has not stopped so he really thinks you know to put it bluntly he really thinks he's the shit and uh i yeah. think that um Aegon, in terms of someone that could handle the realm i do think or excuse me aemond um, as far as someone who could handle it, I think he is better fit to be a king than Aegon. And we've seen it from the beginning with Aegon just being absolutely irresponsible and just being uh, completely stupid and jacking off <laughs> in windows and, <laughs> you know, and like you said, you know, aren't wording girls and stuff like that. So I think that um, Aemond is someone who is uh, more fit to be in that position, even though they're both trash to me. <laughs> okay. All right. So great value Damon um probably would be a better king <laughs> than his um than his brother. So um yeah. So Otto meets with members of of the court in the throne room and he tells all of them that they should you know they they previously swore their fealty to Rainier but now they must swear it to Aegon. Only a few bow. Um, one lord, I didn't catch his name and I, there was no sigil, so I don't know who he was, but he states, you know, he must go back to his house to discuss this. Um, Otto once again says, ain't nobody leaving this room <laughs> until <laughs> your, you know, your intentions are declared. Um, so the lord is like, I'm not an oath breaker and I'm not going to bend the knee. Um, Lady Fowl of House Fowl declares her house will remain loyal to Rhaenyra. So with that, they're led away by the guards. Um, and then we also see Lord Alice Coswell, who is played by Paul Hickey. And if you remember, um, Lord Coswell was the one of was the first person to greet Rhaenyra after she gave birth to Joffrey and basically offered his services to her. Um, so he actually bends the knee and they all, you know, you know, exclaim, long live the king. And of course, Larry's is watching in the background. 
Um, <laughs> so we see uh, Lord Coswell attempt to surreptitiously leave the castle. Unfortunately, he has to wait for the gates to be opened. Um, and as he's waiting, he's apprehended by guards and brought before Otto and Larry's. Larry states that Lord Coswell was fleeing the keep to warn Princess Rhaenyra. And Otto asks him, like, well, where were you going? And, you know, of course, I know, we know Coswell really was going to tell Rhaenyra. But he's like, oh, I have no love for the princess. Uh, you know, you know, Larry's is assuming um, Otto isn't buying it. And he sends him away to the Black Cells. Um, so Otto ends up telling Larry she did a good job. You know, he spent much time with the queen and Larry states like, well, there's no reason why that time can't benefit you. And I was like, okay, interesting. <laughs> so I'll stop there for your thoughts. So this is the moment where I want to go back to talking about Larry Strong and the fan theories out there about him possibly sure. being a green seer because there have been moments that prove that this theory could be a possibility even going as far back as when Rhaenyra and Allison have a conversation at the Godswood and uh, the face of the Godswood is kind of like a GPS signal <laughs> for uh, for being a green seer. And then also like with the rats and everything like that. Um, so that's the theory. And we never really see um, Lord Caswell have a conversation or we don't see anything that even indicates that he is trying to escape. We just assume off of Larry's word that this is what's happening. So maybe there's a moment that they'll show later on in the show, or maybe it will be revealed later on if this theory proves correct that he, you know, does have these abilities to be able to see what's going on in the castle through being, I think, what is it called? Um, a the, warg. No, a warg. something shifter. Um, something skin shifter or something like he can actually assume the uh oh well i don't think anyone has that so no one has that power in the game of thrones universe you either have green seers who can see and use the godswoods as a way to kind of tell you know teleport their minds through time and then you have wargs who can um essentially take their essence into an animal like we saw that um Bran could warg into Summer or Brad could, Bran could warg into Hodor. So I'm guessing people are saying that Larry's can warg into rats? Um, maybe, maybe that's it. I might be getting my terms incorrect. But yes, people <laughs> are saying, yes, people are saying that he can, you know, I guess warg is the term, into different animals. And so far, the rats are indicative of him proving this theory with some of the scenes. And there's a scene with, and I forgot which episode it was, with King Viserys, where he's in his throne room and, um, or in, in his private quarters, and we see um, a rat on the, you know, kind of climbing near the wall. And Viserys looks up at the rat, like as if, what are you doing here? So it's almost as if the, the show writers, the showrunners and creators want us to pay attention to that. Not to say that Viserys knew anything, but they're just redirecting us to look at that rat as something we need to pay attention to. So that's, that's all I'm just adding with this whole uh, scene that's happening that we never see, sorry, we never see on camera Caswell indicating to us that he's fleeing to warn the princess and we're just going off of Larry's word. So yeah. Yeah. I'm a little hesitant to buy into that theory because 
in a song of ice and fire if you remember the comet that kind of ushered in like a new age of magic that had previously kind of been dead for years and years and years so when they saw the comet when Daenerys kind of gave birth to her dragons that's when the Stark children um, started to have the ability to warg and even though it's not explored on the show um, John and Arya are also wargs as well so this is what about 150 years 170 years or so before that happening so I'm hesitant to believe that Larry's has that ability I just think he has an extensive network much like Masaria and he just has ears everywhere and eyes everywhere and it's not much of a leap to think that Lord Coswell may be loyal to Rhaenyra because he's one of the first people to offer up his loyalty to her publicly um, after the birth of Joffrey but I could be wrong you know We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But Larry's is, is shifty and he definitely has his ways, <laughs> whatever they may be. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I think, too, um, that I had heard somewhere that House of the Dragon is trying to instill more magic into this show mm -hmm. than Game of Thrones. Because Game of Thrones was actually sort of trying to go away from that. Um, yeah. So if... If that is the case, then the theory probably would hold stronger if that is, in fact, what they plan to do. But, yeah, I I don't know either, <laughs> but it, I, I can't think of... It's interesting. It, it, it's a good theory because I can't think of how he knows what he knows. Like, how did he know about that conversation in the Godswood between Rhaenyra and Alicent, which is the one piece of information that ended up being, um, that sowed the seed of discord between Allison and Rhaenyra. Um, so that's why I'm like, how how is he getting all of this information? And yeah, you, you're right. You, you, there could be spies. We, we could definitely say that. Um, but I noticed that the show isn't really showing us that. So yeah. So anyway. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> we still have time. Yeah. Um, so Allison watches as the Silent Sisters prepare Viserys' body for burial. Um, she tearfully places his crown over his rat body when they're done. Um, Allison then visits Rainey's. Um, Rainey's is like, there better be a good reason why you have me locked up in my chambers. <laughs> and um, Allison apologizes. And then Rainey's kind of deduces that the king is dead and Allison is usurping the throne. Um, and of course, Allison is kind of saying the same song. It was Aegon or it was Viserys' dying wish that Aegon become king. And she asked Rhaenys for her support. Um, you know, she kind of tries to uh, win her over by saying that aligning herself with Rhaenyra has gotten her nothing but pain. You know, her daughter was, you know, died alone in Pentos. Her son was made into a cuckold. You know, none of Rhaenyra's children are her kin, which I thought to myself, that's a lie. Because um, even though they're not related to, to her via Lenor, Rhaenys is the first cousin of a series. Therefore, she's related to <laughs> Rhaenyra's children. But I was like, okay, I'm going to let her have it. Um, and... You know, she tells her, you know, your your husband, who so desperately coveted the throne, has abandoned her. He's been gone for six years, um, you know, at war in the step zone, is likely mortally wounded, leaving her deal with Driftmark on her own. And Rainus is like, look, the word of my house is not fickle. Um, and Allison's like, look, I love my husband, but 
you should have been queen, you know, and that kind of surprises Rainey's. And she basically tells Rainey's like she has the temperament to rule. And Viserys honestly should have been some country lord, like eating and hunting at his, you know, at his own pleasure. Um, but, you know, as women, it's their job to kind of temper the kings that they serve. Uh, Rainey shakes her off and is like, I'm not trying to hear this. You know, what's going on with my dragon? Um, and Allison believes without Rainey's and the power of her dragging, um, backing her, maybe Rhaenyra will be willing to negotiate. Um, and she's like, look, if you want Driftmark, you can have it. You know, you can have it for yourself, for your granddaughters. Um, and Rainey's kind of cuts through her and says, you know, you think you're this and you're that, but you're still toiling in the service of men, your father, your husband, your son, you know, you only really want a window in your, in your prison cell. Um, she's like, have you ever even imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? Um, you can tell this kind of rattles Allison and she leaves and tells, um, Rainey's, you know, once you come up with a decision, ring the bell. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll stop there for your thoughts on that interaction between Rainey's, that bad bitch, um, and Allison. Yeah. Allison is just the master of manipulation. She and her father are there really, they go hand in hand. They obviously they are two of a kind when it comes to manipulating and gaslighting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I kind of wanted to throw out the, the meme. I might do it. Um, uh, in future tweets, but uh, the the meme of why you always lying when she said that she wanted <laughs> Rainey's should have been queen. Why you always lying? Because <laughs> she's such a liar. I I would love to propose that question. Is really Allison? Does Allison truly believe that Rainey's should have been queen? That that is the question. I mean, I know what you're gonna say, Angelica. Yeah, she believes it. That that's her. You know, she she's someone that. <laughs> is dedicated girl to girl power, but I don't know. I don't know if I fully believe that because this is a moment where she is trying to get Rainey's on her side. The Valarian house. Oh, oh go I, ahead. I was hundred percent. I think she is manipulating her, but I, oh. I do think she, the best part of manipulating people is using a grain of truth. So you have some type of authenticity when you're telling, you know, when you're trying to get the person to your side, but I'll, I'll defer that back to you. Yeah. I, I don't even think that's a grain of truth, but I appreciate you uh, adding that. Cause you're right. It, it is. Um, I mean, I think the grain of truth would probably be about the fact that those kids aren't hers and yes, you're right about yeah. them being cousins, but kind of technically they're kind of not. <laughs> so I, I would say this, that um, Allison trying to bring the most powerful house right now um, in the seven kingdoms to her side that everything that comes out of her mouth is just pure bullshit. Just like, I just don't, <laughs> I don't believe her. She's been lying about Viserys wanting Aegon as heir. And now everything that's coming out of her mouth is a lie, which is so the hypocrisy is just overwhelming because here she is supposed to be this woman of faith and is supposed to have these morals and standards and, and supposed to be better than, you know, and she's always putting down and looking down at Renera for breaking, being a rule breaker and, and doing all of the things that she did in her past. And, and like, look at what Allison is doing now. So yeah, I just, I, I can't, <laughs> I just, I can't be with, I can't jive with her on this. And uh, I hope Rhaenyra sees right through it or Rhaenyra, 
here we go with these names. I should I should have this down pat by now. We're nine episodes in. Um, but Rainey's, I hope Rainey's sees right through it because, uh, you know, at this point, Allison just cannot be trusted. Yeah, you you can't pull the wool over Rainey's eyes. She she's very smart uh, and and she's no fool. So she's going to side with whoever she thinks is best and seems like she's going to side with Rhaenyra because that's what the, that's who her house has pledged themselves to. Um, and you know, she, not, not much else it can do to sway her. Um, so, uh, later we see Eamon who's spotting Otto and the twins meeting with Masaria. Um, Otto is like, Oh, are you the mysterious white worm or you're just another peel in the stinking onion? Um, Masaria kind of ignores that and instead passes on her condolences for the death of the king. And Otto's kind of taken aback because she's not supposed to know this information. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> he's like, oh, shit, <laughs> she knows. Um, so uh, nonetheless, he instructs the twins to hand Masaria a bag of gold. So now she's been paid. Um, so she tells uh, Otto that. Aegon is tucked away somewhere safely, but in return for him, she wants an end to the child fighting pits. Um, you know, she says it's disgusting. You know, your city watch, our bribe is turning a blind eye. These children are subjected to horrible things. And like, I'm not going to hand over Aegon if you're going to let this continue. So Otto agrees to investigate it. And then Masaria tells them that when Aegon is placed on a throne, they must remember who helped put him there. You know, it was her and because she could have easily killed him. And then she goes on to say that whatever power they have is only what the people allow them to take. So remember that. And Otto vows to remember her words. Um, so the twins end up finding Aegon. He has basically been placed inside of an altar in the Great Sept and he gets pulled out. He's obviously had a rough night. He asks where the why, where the white worm is, and the twins tell him that you know she paid a price for him, and he's like, okay, well take me to my mom. And they're like, oh, you're supposed to be brought before Otto. Um, he's waiting for you. And Aegon tries to run away. <laughs> um, so they they grab him, they lead him out the step, and then Kristen and Aemon have been waiting in the cut the cut and they confront him um Aegon takes the opportunity to run away and then Arik and Kristen cross swords while the fighting goes on Aemon tackles Aegon Aemon says he wishes Aegon had disappeared uh, obviously he's but more fit to rule Aegon asks if Viserys is dead Aemon says yes and then a Aemon Aegon spits in Aegon's face Aemon's face oh my god all these names are running together my brain can't take it so Aegon spits in Aemon's face and he tries to get away, but Aemon manages to take a hold of him and, and kind of hold him down. Um, Kristen ends up dis- disarming Arik and Aegon cries for Aemon to let him go. He's like, I don't have any wish to rule. I'm not suited for it. Just let me go. I'll sail away. I'll never hear from him again. And it looks like Aemon is tempted by this, but Kristen shows up and is like, I gotcha. And the queen's waiting for you. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there. I thought that was interesting that, that Aegon has no interest in ruling. Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised by this. We knew this from back when he was jacking off in the window (laughs) and then, (laughs) and then Allison goes over to him and, and, and tells him about, you know, who he is. And he just, he's had this sort of careless cavalier attitude towards his role as the proposed heir 
um, and I say that with air quotes, um, mm. since the beginning. So, and now that he knows that this is a reality, he just, I, th- I think really, honestly, I mean, him fleeing and, and leaving, um, leaving the castle like this and, and, and going down, uh, what, what is this neighborhood? I mean, we're in King's Landing, but what this Silk Street? Uh, Flea Bottom. Flea Bottom? Uh, they're, yeah, they're in Flea Bottom now. Hanging yeah. out in Flea Bottom, you know, with uh, with these kids that are, you know, fighting boxers and, you know, him running around with a whole bunch of women and having kids and stuff like that. I think he kind of saw all of this coming when his father was becoming gravely ill and slowly looking more and more like the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> so, um, and th- the fact that he just keep getting pressured and pressured by his mom about taking on this role he he just doesn't want it and and hasn't wanted it for some time so this is his way of rebelling and um yeah the whole scene was it was it was fun to watch it was fun to watch uh Eamon and uh Aegon kind of going back and forth and Eamon's in his feelings as second son because he really wants to be king like I I like the fact that they actually reveal and and show his character as someone who wants this he actually wants to to take that the the throne so um uh, it always sucks to be the second son right Uh (laughs) and they're always the one that want to (laughs) rule it's like the first one never wants it it's always the second son yep yep yeah yeah. So, um, yeah, back at the key. And I also want to say um, I was hoping Masaria's accent would get better. It, It's not it's not getting better. It's getting worse. I couldn't even understand her. I was like, what is she saying? I I think, you know, the actress is, is emoting well. I think she's acting well. It's just her accent sucks. And it's it's not a good accent. If we can tell it, it's, it doesn't come naturally. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, curious yeah. to know in the books was her accent written that way or is this all for the TV show? Cuz I know the actress I mean, pe- herself doesn't look like the white worm cuz the white worm actually looks like a Targaryen. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but yeah. she yeah, she looks like a Targaryen with the white hair and she's got a very pale face and all that. But yeah, I'm curious to know if she also had a very thick cuz she she seems like she's from Dorne. Where where is she even from, Masaria? I think she's from Lise. Lise, but oh. like we've had people from Essos on the show on Game of Thrones, and they had like even like Melisandre had like a slight. She was from a shy. She had like a slight accent. You could almost hear it on the back end. Varys didn't have like you don't have to have this over the top foreign accent if you're from Essos. So I don't I don't I don't understand the direction of that. Um I don't understand why the show writers allowed that to start allowed her to keep going with this accent. Um but uh, you know, like I said, emoting well, just I, I just don't like her accent and I won't get over it. Um <laughs> so um back so that's my only real criticism of the show is old girl that's playing Masaria needs to really just tighten up that accent. Um yeah <laughs> yeah so um yeah yeah so back at the keep allison enters otto's chambers and he's like well played you know he he she ended up with Aegon, um and he tells her like no matter their differences they have to stick together they're of the same heart and allison's like no we're not we never were the same heart i was just a piece that you moved around on the board um he tells her okay if that's the case i made you the queen of the seven kingdoms was that not what you wanted and she's like 
I only wanted what you wanted for me. Like I never had a mind of my own. Um, and you know, she's like, you're willing to pay this great price in order to get what you want. And she has no desire to murder Rainier. Um, and she, now, now that she has Aegon in her possession, she's going to proceed as she sees fits. Um, she will send terms to Rhaenyra uh, at Dragonstone. And Otto's like, if Rhaenyra lives, she will rally supporters around her. And then Allison's like, okay, well, then she won't leave Dragonstone. Um, because that's what Viserys would have wanted. He would have wanted mercy for his own daughter. And Otto's like, is it really for Viserys or is it for the fact that you're her childhood best friend? Um, and she doesn't even answer that question. Um, she tells Otto that Kristen Cole will now be Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. Aeon will be anointed uh, the following morning uh, for all of King's Landing to see. He's going to wear the crown of his namesake, Aegon the Conqueror. He's going to carry his sword, Blackfire. She wants to show the people the ancient strength of the Targaryens. Um, so Otto's just like, you look so much like your mother in this light. Like, he's just trying to, like... He's trying to like get it, get get in her mind, and Allison isn't having it. She leaves, and he just ends up answering to himself as you wish. Um, so I'll stop there before we get into this next very interesting scene. Uh, for your thoughts on that exchange between Allison and Otto, good on Allison for ignoring his manipulative tactics. I think at this point, Allison has mastered the art of manipulation and knows the game. So yeah, it's yeah. it, it's like um, you can't con a con man. So I think um, Otto, you, it's it's a lost cause with Allison. You could probably convince anyone else at this point, but your own daughter has pretty much had it with you. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be well. Yeah, I I don't have much more to add to this. I I think <laughs> um, you know the the exchange between her and him i'm i'm just curious to see how that will play out as the story moves along but i don't know it's almost as if we're slowly seeing this father daughter relationship um kind of sort of you know slowly like dissipating away which is kind of kind of sad and also there's a good point that Rhaenyra had um Rhaenyra oh gosh my goodness <laughs> it doesn't help to have a foggy brain right now but Rainey's <laughs> Rainey's had actually brought up in a previous scene about Allison being of service to other men um I think that that did we get to that scene already yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay okay just, just want to make sure um but I think that 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 kind of I think by her saying that maybe that had that was like a light bulb moment for Allison. Yeah. Because it, it's true. She has been in service yeah. to other men starting with her father, then Viserys, then even her own sons at this point. Um so yeah, she was like, "You know what? Maybe I need to start taking control of of my life and of the way I'm going to run things in my house." And and that's what she's doing. So yeah yes yeah I think you're right that was a light bulb moment for her and she's just like you know what my dad's gotten over on me long enough I'm in charge now I'm the captain now (laughs) exactly don't know if that's a good or a bad thing I don't know who's worse Allison or Otto but at least Allison wants to keep Rhaenyra alive so I think it's best (laughs) that she's in charge um, so this this next scene was was quite interesting for me. It took me a second to realize what was happening, but we'll get into it. So um, Allison returns to her chambers and is greeted by Larry's always lurking in the shadows, that guy. 
and um, he tells her he needs to tell her something. So she sits down and she starts to take off her shoes and she rests her feet on the table, still in her socks. Um, he asks Allison, how is it that Otto found Aegon first? Um, and he tells her the reason is because there's a web of spies in the Red Keep. Otto is aware of this and he's left it in place. And it's proven advantageous for him to feed the weaver of the webs, which we know is uh, Masaria. So Allison is like, okay, is the weaver watching me? And then she begins to take off her socks then places them on the table or her feet back on the table. Um, Larry tells her that one of the little spiders is her handmaiden, Talia, and there are more like her, but he doesn't know how many. Um, so he tells her the only way to take away Otto's advantage is to take the head of the snake off. Um, so she's like, I'm assuming you're going to take care of this for me. And he's like, you know, I will do as you wish. And then she takes off her socks and then she places her feet back on the table so that he can see and he begins to masturbate and you can tell this is like some type of weird arrangement they have it's like he has a foot fetish and I was really thrown off by this so I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this interesting scene that was really weird yeah when he began to start jacking off to her feet I was like okay he does have a weird foot fetish I mean I guess if you're gonna <laughs> if and I and I guess this is the way Allison compensates him like he doesn't want money yeah <laughs> right? he, he just wants he just wants to look at her feet yeah which if you're go- I guess if you're gonna have a foot fetish this is the way to do it like at least he's not like like, you know, massaging or sucking on her toes or something, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like something crazy. And she, and you notice too in that scene, she's looking off uh, in another yeah. direction. So she doesn't even want to witness what she's engaging in with him right now, which no. is quite shameful for her, her, her religious beliefs uh, yeah. to even be engaging in this practice, to be honest. Um, but I wanted to ask you because there's not really any clarification here and I'm, I'm not certain how it uh, plays out in the books, but when he, he mentions about taking off the head, is he referring to getting rid of Talia? Cause he's not talking about Otto, right? No, he's talking about Masaria. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, I guess she is the head. I guess mm-hmm. she is the head. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking to myself, um, I guess it makes sense for Larry to have a foot fetish because I guess he only has one nice foot. I don't know. I just thought it was so interesting that Allison pays him and in, in, in foot picks, basically, <laughs> in, in a modern context. So I was like, I just I knew something was happening when she started to like take off her shoes. She started to take off her socks. I'm like, there has to be a reason why she's doing this. And then like the reveal, I was like, oh, gosh, OK, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, good times. Uh, so, uh, we, we then get a montage of what everyone is doing in the Red Keep. You know, Aegon's eating his supper. Otto is brooding in a near, nearby window. Aemon's brooding by the fire. Allison's in her chambers. And then we have Rhaenys in her bed. And obviously she has a lot on her mind. Um, one of the twins, which I believe is Eric, enters with a cloak for Rhaenys. He tells her that he can't let this treachery stand. He leads her out of the, out of her chamber and they pass Lord Carswell um, he's apparently been hung in the courtyard um, and then he leads her beneath the keep past the skull of Beleriand the Dread which Rainey stops briefly to look at and then we get a sleeping shot of King's Landing and they stop at Masaria's house 
which is on fire. So the camera pans on her house. So apparently Larry's dad's taking care of business. I don't think Masari is dead, but I guess getting rid of her house is, is a way to do it. Um, and because it worked before for his father and his brother. So I guess he used the same methods. Um, so as they're making their way through the city at this point, it's dawn, it's the morning. Rainey's tells Eric she needs to wake her, make her way back to her dragon, Maylis. Um, and she asks him to take her to the dragon pit. And he says it's too dangerous. You know, she has to get to the river and steal away on a ship. But they end up being separated by a large cl- a large crowd, um, which is making their way to Aegon's coronation. Um, in the chaos, uh, Rainey smiles because she sees that everyone is moving towards the dragon pit. That's where she wants to be. Um, in a wheelhouse, Allison and Aegon are traveling to the dragon pit. And she tells Aegon, like, basically stop being a sourpuss, like put a smile on your face. We went through a whole lot to get you here. Um, and Aegon's like, look, I don't want to be king. My father has always backed Rhaenyra as heir. If he wanted me to be, be heir, he would have done it at some point in the last 20 years. Um, and he's like, and if I know that my dad didn't even like me. Um, Allison's like, yeah, but he changed his mind that those were his final words that he wanted you to be king. And then she shows him, um, the series dagger and Aegon's like, don't toy with me. And she's like, I'm not like, it's the truth. Your dad wanted you to be king. Um, but then she also warns him not to follow the desires of Otto because he wants to kill Rhaenyra. And she's like, don't go for that. Um, and then Aegon interrupts her by asking if she loves him. And instead of saying, yes, son, I love you, she calls him an imbecile. Um, <laughs> so I'll stop there for, I guess, Rainey's great escape. Well, not quite. Um, and the conversation between um, Allison and Aegon and I guess even Masaria's house being set on fire. Yeah, Larry's has a thing for being an arsonist. I think uh, that's... <laughs> I guess that's his uh, signature. His calling card. His calling card. I, I would think that with the bees, because the bees is like the sigil for his spies, that they would choose like a different method. Like, I don't know, stinging people or, you know, poking people with some kind of poison or something like that. Um, well, I thought his sigil was a firefly. So I guess that would make sense that like he's like to set things on fire. Yeah, but... he said something about bees actually in this episode. Um, oh, I'm okay. trying to remember what the quote was, but it was something about, oh, yeah, he said it to Allison about um, with the queen dead, the bees have nowhere to fly. Uh, so yeah, so that's why that's why I said bees. But I do remember hearing firefly being mentioned um before as well so anyway um so yeah that that that's interesting um i we'll see what happens with Masaria. i yeah i don't i don't think that um i I didn't even catch the fact that that was Masaria's house so i'm glad that you brought that (laughs) up because i i was wondering even what her fate was so i didn't even know in that conversation with taking off at the head who they were referring to so so yeah, um, the the sword that or the knife it looks more like a knife than a sword that Aegon had in his hand was that Blackfire? No, that was the dagger that Viserys carried around. That was the same dagger that um, the cat's paw tried to, tried to use to kill Bran, and then the dagger that um, oh yes, the Night King, the Night King yeah, with so yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, so that's yeah. a very important piece of. Uh, props to use on the show um so there there was a moment where i was kind of fearful of allison even though we we know that it wouldn't happen but i still had a moment of fear for her when he asked her if she loved him 
And he said that because when he asked that question, he was looking down at the dagger and kind of pointing (laughs) his finger at the tip of the blade. And I was just like, is he going to do something to his mom? Please don't let this be a matricide situation. Uh, So I just was concerned. But she don't like Alice's. I think y'all, you have been okay with her being dispatched. You know what? I I, actually, I kind of would be okay with that. So I'm not even going to lie to you, (laughs) but it would have thrown things off for the the storyline. So, so if they gotcha, did that, gotcha. that's why I was like, um, are we doing something to completely different here? So yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was a moment. I don't know why she called him an imbecile, but he, he is, he, is. <laughs> he really is. So she, she is not lying there. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to remember the conversation went a little bit differently with um, Alicent convincing Aegon because this is the moment where she convinces him why he should be king because he's still reluctant. And um, we're going to talk a little bit further in this episode what actually happens too with Aegon. But also, I think that there was a conversation in the book where Alicent said that, you know, you're going to be killed by Rhaenyra and and Daemon, by the Targaryens, if you do not take on this uh, secession. So she basically kind of like threatened him into into taking on this role. So I I feel like that that was a conversation that um, that was interesting. But also, I like the way this conversation is happening with respect to him talking about uh, his father not liking him, because we kind of learned something about Aegon that we didn't really quite know before and that was pretty compelling and maybe that's even why he acts out and he is has this imbecile you know behavior imbecile behavior and and does all of these ridiculous stupid irresponsible very dangerous very criminal things mm-hmm. um so uh that that that's a, a nice compelling arc that they added uh, to the show that I don't think that the book's captured. No, and I w- when you mentioned the the thing about Rhaenyra putting him to the sword, she did mention it to him on the show um, after she caught him, uh, you know, jacking off on the window ledge. She she said like, you know, you are the threat to Rhaenyra, you and your siblings, you know, as you breathe. So she she has alluded to that to him in the past. I guess they chose to have that conversation earlier in the show, and um. Yeah, um, I, I it's almost hinted that he doesn't feel good enough. That was in the last episode when he's like, when she went to like smack him up for um, raping um, Diana. And he says like, I've done everything you and father wanted me to do and it's still not good enough. So yeah, he has no ambitions or desires for the throne. And I think in this moment with her consistently encouraging the fact that her fa- his father had a change of heart and then the next scene, it kind of plays out to why he ends up accepting his role. Um, so we're, we're at the dragon pit now um, and Otto announces to the crowd that's gathered there that Viserys is dead and that the king's final wish was for Aegon to succeed him. The crowd cheers, you know, Aegon makes his royal entrance, trumpets are blaring, his men are saluting him with their swords, he ascends to this, I guess, this makeshift uh, pulpit, I don't know what you call it, a stage, whatever whatever you want to call it, and Alicent kisses him on the forehead, Aegon then kneels and the high septum anoints him in the name of the seven, 
uh, Chris, Kristen then crowns him Aegon the Conqueror with using Aegon the Conqueror's crown. Um, and Aemon, you can tell, is, is a little bitter, a little salty about this. And then um, Kristen declares Aegon as the true heir to the Iron Throne and his entire family, including his sister, his brother, Otto, Allison, Kristen, they all bow down to him. Um, he's named King Aegon, second of his name. Um, and Rainey's. You know, she's in the crowd. She takes this opportunity to steal away. So the crowd erupts in cheers and Aeon is kind of like taken in this moment. He's not, you know, he's all his life. He's kind of been like smacked around and hated on and everyone's disappointed in him. But now he's actually getting praise. So he's eating this all up and he, you know, he takes black fire. He raises it in the air triumphant. And then Otto appears very pleased with his handiwork and Allison smiling. And then suddenly... The ground falls beneath the crowd and it like it seems like there's like an earthquake and out of it comes Melly's and she's climbing out and the crowd's dispersing. They're trying to escape. And as the dust settles, we see Rainey's has mounted her dragon. Melee's is also referred to as the Red Queen and the guards try to close the door. But I was like, no, open the door, open the door. Um, and so Rainey's, this was an interesting moment, Rainey's leads Melis to approach the king and Allison places herself in front of Aegon to protect him. And you could tell they're expecting dragon fire, um, which is what Rainey should have did. Um, but instead, Melis just roars and then Rainey's takes her dragon and they fly away. And that's how we end the episode. Uh, so I guess your thoughts on those final moments. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> You could have ended the whole damn thing. I was so mad at Rainey's because yes. I found myself yelling at the screen going, Dracarys, Dracarys, do it, do it. I mean, this whole thing could have been solved, squashed. I mean, everything. I mean, there would be no Dance of Dragons, but still, like, right, right. this whole thing would be solved with her saying Dracarys. So... I wanted to know from you as the book reader, because I don't know this for certain because I'm a Wikipedia reader, um, <laughs> is um, does this happen in the books at all? This confrontation with Maylies and Rainies and all of the folks that are sitting on the throne? I don't remember this happening, um, but I could be wrong. I don't remember. I would have remembered that. Yeah, because I... I don't I don't think I saw anything, you know, as far as the source material playing this particular scene out. I mean, we do see Rainies and Melee's later on in the story, but mm. um we don't see them in this type of confrontation with Aegon and Alicent and Aemon there and like the whole <laughs> Hightower family and and part of the Dar- Targaryen family. Um I'm going to try and think. I think she does use Melly's, but not in this like dramatic fashion. Um, I, if I remember correctly, the Velaryons um, use their fleet to kind of like cut, uh, to basically surround Dragonstone so that, you know, Otto and company couldn't invade it. And she used Melly's to like help the greens keep the blacks from attacking the ships. So she did use Melly's, just not in this fashion. I think this is actually kind of better. <laughs> I think this is better. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's yeah, I, I just, I I don't know. I, I guess it was a moment played up for drama, but I didn't like it. I wasn't a fan of it. I think that, you know, if she had an opportunity to take her out, she should have taken the opportunity. So that was just like, really, Rainies? You're going to have people, you're going to make people mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think she's uh she 
she is to a degree honorable, just like great, you know, Allison, despite wanting power for her son, she didn't want to take out Rhaenyra. I don't think Rhaenys wants to necessarily murder um, Allison and her son, but that's what she should have done. Yeah, know? I mean, it's it's not even about, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm not trying to advocate for murder here, but, <laughs> but it, it would have solved a lot of the, it would have solved the feud. It would have solved the feud in just like one breath, literally. So, um, (laughs) and then, you know, going back to the earlier scene with Aegon, I really liked that. I really liked that they captured that moment in the show because that's a genuine reason to want to take play, you know, to go ahead and seal everything as taking on this role of being king. Like at first he's reluctant. We, We find out the reasons as to why he doesn't want to do it. And then as it turns out, like you had mentioned before, like all of his life, he's sort of kind of been like this outlier. He's been teased and taunted and and he always felt less than. And now there's this crowd of people that are cheering him and just, you know, they're on his side and showing solidarity for the king. And, and this, I'm sure the endorphins were just going crazy mm-hmm. and this helped boost his ego. And he's like, this whole king thing probably ain't that bad after all. I could I could do this. I could do this. So then he has that moment where he raises his sword and uh he's in solidarity with the crowd and he's excited yeah. to to be to be king finally. And I I just like the fact that they captured that cuz it makes sense. Like if they didn't do that, kind of you'd be like, "Well, dang, that's all it took was a conversation with his mom." But having the crowd cheer him on i think that was sort of like the icing on the cake that really kind of sealed the deal so yeah yeah Yeah. agreed yeah this is this was a good episode i'm sad we did not get to see uh rainier or damon at all this entire episode (laughs) um nothing because they're back in dragonstone but i'm I'm sure obviously they're gonna return for the finale but yeah i, I enjoyed it um i actually did like rainy's uh, uh destroying part of the dragon pit and kind of like taking off i i know i i agree with you she should have taken out Aegon, but uh, you know she's better than that and um yeah I'm, I'm really excited for the finale um so you know your final thoughts on this episode i just want to give a shout out uh to patty Considine who played the hell out of king viserys in this show yes. obviously we are not going to see him in future episodes of house of the dragon and i hope my fingers are crossed that when it comes to emmy campaign award season that his name is thrown out there uh for best actor or best supporting actor whatever categories they want to place him in for house of the dragon because he really played the hell out of the series like Mm. incredible just seeing the back and forth between the conflict and and the weakness of his character and just all of it was was amazing as far as this episode goes this episode was was great we got to see a lot of, I'm going to use my favorite term, character development. Character development. <laughs> we got to see a lot of that in Aegon in this episode, which yeah. is very important because Aegon, obviously now being king, is stepping into a very important role that we're going to see play out in the next episodes as well as the next season of House of the Dragon. So learning a lot about his character, why he is the way he is, uh, is a great, nice setup uh, in this episode that we we got and um, the foot fetish thing, I just 
That was just <laughs> that was just weird. I just weird. don't. I don't know. You writers on House of the Dragon, y'all was having too much fun with that one. Yeah, because even George is probably looking at y'all sideways like, really? Okay. <laughs> nice <laughs> you gave touch. my man a foot fetish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. George probably came up with the idea knowing him. Probably. Oh, and I was going to say, um, you know, praising Patty Constantine. Um, George, you know, Patty said that George texted him and said, you know, you... You did Viserys better than I did Viserys. Yes, I, I heard that. Yes, <laughs> he did. I mean, he, yeah, he did. He, he did the damn thing. He's yeah. He brought he brought sensitivity. He brought conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, weakness, strength when needed. Yes, um, yeah. He, very layered character. So very R. layered. R.I.P. to Viserys. R.I.P. to Viserys, and uh, we'll see how. Um, oh gosh, what is this? Tom Glancy is that his name? The kid that plays Aegon, I forgot his name. Lord, it's 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 in my notes from the last episode. (laughs) But you know the the guy that plays Aegon, we'll see how um, he does. But so far, I I think he's actually a pretty good actor. I'm 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 pretty impressed with him, and I'm impressed with Ewan Mitchell. I do remember his name, the actor that plays (laughs) Aemon. I know. I just remember him just because he looks so much like Matt Smith. I'm like this kid. Yeah. So, and um, my boy Matthew Needham, our our foot fetish mm-hmm. king. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm I, I really I really enjoy watching him perform. I, I I also hope he's another actor that's considered for Emmy consideration because he he's also very very talented at playing Larrys. So. So yeah, I, I absolutely enjoyed this episode and yeah, look forward to seeing Damon and Rhaenyra. In the next episode, yeah. <laughs> Since we didn't get to see them. But yeah, um, I agree with you. I'm really excited for how this season is going to end and, you know, waiting for the finale. So I'll, I'll turn it back over to you, Jamie. Well, the finale is going to be a little different for the podcast because uh, we are actually not being allowed to screen the episode, which I'm sure you guys know we're we're able to. (laughs) I know that sucks. We're able to screen these episodes before, which is what allows us to get these podcast episodes out immediately after the broadcast. So HBO has elected to not release episode 10, the finale to press, which I understand that they want to really keep a tight hold on that one because it's probably filled with a lot of spoilers. But anywho, um, so we won't be doing a immediate release of the podcast, but we will do a a live show. So uh, tune in. I'll, you know, check us on at Black Girl Nerds, at BGM Podcast on Twitter, our Instagram, all of our socials to find out, you know, when to tune in and where to tune in for that live show. But we'll do a live show immediately after after the broadcast because I know it's important. You guys want to have that conversation right after the show. Like, let's talk about this. So we'll have that conversation and um, and we'll we'll do the finale that way. So sounds good and no outline for me to create it'll just be straight <laughs> off the dome <laughs> i know so. you're like yes i got a break yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so all right well I, I look forward to it so i guess we'll, we'll see you guys live next week we'll see you guys live next week and thanks for tuning in don't forget of course dragons y'all hashtag on twitter and uh we'll see you then bye bye